1420 WBSM presents Spooky South Ghost with your hosts Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz. And uh, we are broadcasting uh, live here on the airwaves and also now on Spooky TV. Uh, We have left the Fate Radio Network. Um, Long story short, uh, Fate Radio is uh, making a change in direction and uh, a little worried about whether or not we can continue to do that with the, the... radio situation here because we're actually on a broadcast station uh a lot of the other fate shows are solely on the fate radio network so it's easy for them to make the switch but with us there's a little bit of uh content legalities copyrights you know things that go over the airwaves here belong to the network here so you know we have to be real careful about things so basically we're switching everything over to spooky south com slash spooky tv and if you actually go there right now you can get involved with the video chat uh, we have just myself in the chat room right now because we're waiting for everybody from the Fate Radio uh, page to make the transition over. But that's where we're going to be each and every week now. If you want to interact with us online and see the spooky uh, studio on camera, go to SpookySouthCoast.com slash SpookyTV. And over the course of the week, we'll change the links on the front page of the site as well. But we're real excited about this new page design that Matt Costa put together for us because you have the chat window you have the video window so you can see everything while you're chatting uh, and underneath we're going to have the archive videos from the last couple of weeks and there's also if you go to that page a number of different apps that you can put on your uh, various iPhones droid phones uh, uh, what's the other one Windows phone nothing for Blackberry yet but they're working on it uh, for the Ustream video so you can watch us wherever you are you can watch us on your phone and then there's also the new brand new WBSM live app so that you can listen to us on your iPhone or your Blackberry no matter where you are as well so it's really a multimedia extravaganza there so uh, make sure that you join us each and every Saturday night because the chat room discussion that goes on during the show sometimes uh, even surpasses the actual show itself in terms of uh, the interesting level so but we've got a huge show planned tonight this is going to be monumentous because it's a it's a multicast. In addition to being Spooky South Coast and broadcasting on Spooky TV, we're also broadcasting on ourhistoryproject.com as well uh, for Craig Anderson's Our History Project show. And we're going to have Craig join us in a little bit later on. We're going to be talking about the ghosts of Plymouth with a number of guests. Uh, and I've I spent a lot of time growing up there as a youth, and, and I've had experiences in that town. And so we're going to talk about a lot of that stuff, and we're going to find out how you can go and experience a lot of these spirits for yourself as well. But right now we have in the studio joining us Steve Perry from the South Coast Toy and Comics Show, which is coming up on December 5th at the Seaport Inn and Marina uh, here in Fairhaven. And, Steve, i, I got to tell you, for guys like us, we geek out for this kind of stuff, so to have it right here in our own backyard is really exciting. This, this isn't the first one that you've done, though, right? No, this will be the third one. This will be the third show. And... Uh, and in, in the, the, what has the response been to the first two? I mean, is it, do you seem to see it growing? Is it a lot of local people, or are you finding people are coming from all over for these shows? The show is definitely growing. We've gone pretty much all... There we go. Sorry, we had a problem with the mic. No problem. The show is definitely growing. We started out at the VFW Hall, our first two shows, and we outgrew that. That's why we moved over to the Seaport Inn. And definitely now the show is getting much larger. We're starting to bring in celebrity guests, especially for this show, and doing the 
finding out where everyone's coming from, they're actually coming all the way from Rhode Island. A few people have actually come from Connecticut to the last show. Wow. Yep. And, you, and you mentioned having celebrity guests, and there, there's uh, uh, quite a number. Uh, Felix, is it Sila? Is that Felix Sila, yes. Sila, yes. And who everybody might know as Cousin It. Yes, but he's, Cousin he's It. had a number of other roles in, in Yes, he shows. also played Tweaky on Buck Rogers' TV show. He was an Ewok on Return of the Jedi. He was also on Planet of the Apes, and he played Lucifer on Battlestar Galactica. Excellent. So, Moniz, you've probably known a lot of his work, maybe not knowing his face, but you've probably known a lot of his work. Cause, all of them. Yeah, those are all things that I know that you're a fan of. And uh, you also have Gabby West, who is uh, in the new Saw 3D film. Yes, we do have Gabby West from the new Saw 3D. She's also the winner of VH1 Scream Queens 2. She'll be joining us. And they're all, she's also bringing along with her from Lionsgate, we're going to have some of the actual props from Saw. You're going to have, have the doll? I don't know if they're bringing the doll, but I'd love to see it. <laughs> I don't know what they're going to bring us. And uh, also uh, some wrestling personalities as well. You have uh, Ox Baker and, and Doink the Clown. Yes. We do both. And, and Doink the Clown, I can tell you, the, he, he's a character. Oh, he's hilarious. He definitely. People are dying to see him. <laughs> and uh, and uh, from a paranormal perspective, we have some friends of this program, uh, Keith and Sandra Johnson of New England Anomalies Research and Penny Dreadful, host of Penny Dreadful Shilling Shockers. So those are two people that have been here with us on the program pretty much since we started. Oh, definitely. We're great to have, happy to have them in. And what's interesting, too, is in addition to having all these celebrity guests, so you ha- you do have some real comic people there. It's not just the vendors who are coming to sell their wares, and you actually have people who are involved in the comics industry. Yes, we actually do. Um, we have about a dozen comic and animation artists coming in. Um, also, we have Bob McCloud, who was a pretty well-known comic artist for Marvel Comics and Dark Horse Comics as well. Beautiful. He's worked on quite a bit of titles. And he'll be there as well. And and for those who have never been to one of these shows, I mean, you, you really get a chance to talk to these guys and, and pick their brains and find out not only about their own work but about the industry as a whole. And and I know that it's made a lot of changes uh, in recent years. Uh, obviously, everything in publishing is down. Right. Uh, but when when you have an event like this, you can realize what a strong audience there still is for something like comic books. Definitely. It brings a lot of people from all avenues that are still into the comic books and cartoons and everything to that aspect gives them a lot of better chance to meet and greet with the people they you know read their comic books and people they've seen on tv was there a particular comic book that that sucked you in when you were a kid was there one that grabbed you and probably batman I'm yeah go with that i remember the first comic i ever bought i was uh, maybe five or six years old and i bought a a spider-man at the corner store, and I was like, wow, I can get all this stuff for like 15 cents? This is great. And that's where it just started. And from there, I mean, I was, I remember I used to go to the flea markets, and I would buy just whatever dollar comic I could find. And mm-hmm. this was in the uh, the early 90s when every comic had something to do with a ninja. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, <laughs> but through that, you know, I found things like Boris the Bear and a lot of these more, I don't want to say subversive, but more underground stuff that people might not have known about. I mean, I remember passing issues of The Tick with my friends long before it was a Fox animated cartoon. Right. Yeah, I definitely remember that, too. So it, I think this area has got, got a very huge fan base for this, and, and the fact that toy collecting is, is through the roof now yeah. uh, to the fact that it's killing my collection because everybody has what I have now. <laughs> I'm in the same boat with that. I've been collecting toys for probably about 20 years now, and you know, a lot of the stuff, it's, it's coming up a lot quicker since they're redoing every 
toy line into a movie now. Yeah, yeah. Bringing it all full circle again. And a lot of these vendors that you're going to have there, yes. are they going to be selling things like comics and toys and their yes. own? And I know that you have some artisans too with their own, their own crafts and things. Yes, the artists will be there. They'll be selling their art. They'll also be doing commission work for any of the art pieces that you like to see them do. Plus, all the vendors will have huge variety of comic books, toys, collectibles, gaming. We actually have a couple of video game guys coming in as well. Nice. So this will be December 5th uh, from 10 to 4 at the Seaport Inn and Marina in Fairhaven. That's at 110 Middle Street. And you can go to southcoasttoyandcomic.com for more information and to purchase tickets. And uh, you can't beat it, though. Admission is only $6. And I know that all over the place I'm seeing these little flyers that give you a dollar off admission. Yeah. So you can pick those up pretty much anywhere, and uh, that'll get you a uh, dollar off the admission. But it's even at $6, it's a great price to go in and meet some of these celebrities and, and talk to some of these artists. Definitely. And if you go online to buy the tickets right from the website, it'll give you the dollar discount as well. Beautiful. Now, if I can just make one request for a future, future sure. show, Keith Giffen. Is there any chance that you could get Keith Giffen to come? I know he's kind of reclusive. I don't know if you're, are you familiar with him. He's yes. kind of uh, a little underground. But for those who don't know, he created my fam- favorite comic book character of all time, Ambush Bug. And I'm, <laughs> I might be the only person I know who's a huge Ambush Bug fan. But, uh, but he also had the Thriller comic back in the 80s mm-hmm. and a number of other titles that uh, he's worked on since. So yeah, but that would be my dream. Do. All right. Well, thank you very much, Excellent. Steve, for joining us. and Thank you for having us on. We'll talk more about this in the coming weeks as we get closer to the show. Excellent. All right. Well, we're going to take a break now. When we come back, we're going to get into the ghosts of Plymouth with our guests tonight. And pretty much if there's a ghost to be found in Plymouth between the, the trio of guests we're going to have on, they probably found it. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast and also broadcasting live on Spooky TV. Coast is back. Lean forward slightly. Look straight at the speaker and listen with a sparkle in your eye, as though you might be thinking, "Gee, this is the most wonderful thing I've ever heard in all my life." All right, welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg, the Silent Assassin, Matt Costa, and Science Advisor Matt Moniz, all here broadcasting live on Spooky TV as well. Just go to SpookySouthCoast.com slash SpookyTV, and you can see that we have quite a full studio here. Uh, we have, going down the line, we have uh, Scott, is it Stalter? Yep. Scott Stalter, one of the founders of Pilgrim Paranormal Research. Check out their site, PilgrimParanormal.com. Tom Finn of Colonial Lantern Tours of Plymouth. That's LanternTours.com. And Janice Williams of the Dead of Night Ghost Tours, DeadofNightGhostTours.com. And all those sites are linked up on the front page of SpookySouthCoast.com as well, because we're going to be talking about the ghosts of America's hometown. We're coming up here on Thanksgiving, and naturally, whenever Thanksgiving comes around, the rest of the country starts turning to Plymouth. And we've got a, a national and an international audience here, and they love finding out about the ghosts in our area. And one town that we've never really talked about is Plymouth. And I, I spent a lot of time there growing up. I always thought that it had a, a cool vibe to it. And uh, obviously it's working out for all of you people pretty well because uh, we've got two very successful tours running and a paranormal group that's busy all the time. So uh, there's definitely ghosts to be had. I'm just going to go down the line a little bit and have everybody kind of introduce themselves and how they started things out. Uh, we'll start with Janice. Uh, how did Dead of Night Ghost Tours come about? Um, it was actually from... Uh, uh 
one of my best friend's mother, who died many, many years ago, came to me in a vision. And every night for about 45 nights, she would um, leave little bits and pieces like Colts Hill, Brigantine Arnold, things that really didn't mean anything to me. And after 45 nights of losing sleep and her being in my room, the, one of the last things she said was ghost tours in Plymouth. And the next day I told my daughter, I said, just look up this stuff. And, and she did, and it did have to do with things in Plymouth. And from that day forward... Um, we knew that that's what we were going to do. Very nice. Now, Tom, uh, Colonial Lantern Tours aren't just ghost tours. It's just one aspect of the, the different tours that you offer there, right? Right. We didn't start off doing ghost tours, uh, but we started off in 1983 doing historical tours just from Plymouth Rock. And as we uh, <clears throat> did the tours, it got more and more popular, and people started asking us for ghost stories. So pretty much every night they'd want to know you know what ghost stories that we knew we didn't have too many at that time back in 83 <laughs> but i'm sure as you were taking people out onto these tours ghosts started popping up <laughs> and then stories uh you know people are coming back to you hey while i was on the tour well we started doing some research that <clears throat> one of the first ghost stories we got was from station one restaurant mm -hmm. uh, today it's san diego's but it's the uh, beautiful old fire station all done over and on the back of their <clears throat> menu of the original restaurant there was the ghost story of the fireman ghost, mm -hmm. and that story came from the Old Colony Memorial newspaper. So one of the newspaper reporters wrote a wrote an article that wound up on the back of the menu, and that was our first ghost story. <laughs> and it's just grown from there. Grown from there. Yeah. And and Scott, uh, about four years ago, you guys started Pilgrim Paranormal. Yeah, we um, there's there was four of us in the beginning, and uh, we were all worked for a cable company local, and uh, we were all kind of hanging outside one day, and you know everybody watches Ghost Hunters. And we all started talking about how we'd all, you know, hang out in cemeteries and, hey, maybe, maybe we should get together. We all have, you know, camcorders and, you know, uh, digital cameras. And, uh, you know, just started from there. We all got together. We, you know, we did Burial Hill a couple times and um, actually had a friend of ours that, that said her mother had, a, you know, problems in the house that we went and checked out. And, you know, we kind of stumbled around but, you know, worked through it. And everybody has taps as their, uh, you know guidebook i guess yeah that's, <laughs> that seems to be the way that it goes and uh and as long as they're uh you know use utilizing as a jumping off point then kind of they'll find they'll develop their own style pretty quickly because tv edits make things look a lot easier oh, yeah definitely <laughs> definitely and so uh also joining us on the line this is a huge event tonight because we are multicast multi-casting uh, not only here on Spooky South Coast and Spooky TV, but also with Our History Project. And we have Craig Anderson, the host of Our History Project, joining us via Skype. And uh, if everything works out, Craig, are you there? I am here. How are you? Oh, we are spooktacular. And this is, sounds like it's going to work out pretty well. Good. And thank you for bringing me on and letting me be a part of this. I'm so excited to be here. And as you say, we are multicasting all over the place. Uh, we are not only on Our History Project, but our live station as well. And several blogs. We try to put it everywhere. And, and that's the thing. If you can just get it to where people can find it, they can't help but bump into the history and the ghosts. Absolutely. Now, uh, I know that you you live in Georgia, and you've got your own colonial era history down there. But uh, here, you know, this is where it all started. What's the outsider perspective of Plymouth, uh, not only in terms of its ghosts and its paranormal, but also uh, just in terms of, you know, this time of year, Thanksgiving. Everybody talks about the pilgrims and the Mayflower. Is that pretty much the extent of, of what you learned in school? Sure, it, it really is. Uh, you hit that barrier to where we heard about the pilgrims. Uh, I always like to start off all my my talks with Squanto being captured in 1605 and going up from there. Uh, it's really just a melting pot that you don't have anything historically based in our school system. It's just 
the the story of the pilgrims. You know, it's very, very limited. Well, we, we found later on that the pilgrims really weren't uh, the the glowing perspective that they had. Uh, they had some, some issues going on there, and we're going to talk about some of that uh, as we dive into the show here. Uh, but uh, one of the things that I'm the most impressed about with the fact that people are coming and taking these tours and learning about the paranormal in Plymouth is that there is just that direct connection. Uh, it, it's I think because of the paranormal aspect, they feel closer to some of the first settlers of this country. Whereas without that connection, it's almost like, okay, there are people that lived hundreds of years ago, and we don't have a direct, really, a feel to them. But with the paranormal, it's something that they're still there. They're still touching you in some fashion. Yeah. Um, we're going to go through some of these different discussions, and I, I can't see the show oh. clock there, Matt. Okay, so we've got, we've got some time to really get into some of these things now. And one of the uh, sites that I know is probably on both tours, and, and Scott mentioned it as well, is Burial Hill. And for anybody that's never been there, it should be one of the first places that you visit when you do make a trip to Plymouth because there's nowhere that you can experience the history of, of who was there at the beginning more than that. And uh, it's what, what was probably the most profound experience that you've had there? Uh, Janice in Burial Hill? Um, I think when we first started our tours like nine years ago, one of my first, we had a large group of people and um, we were coming up to one of the historical landmarks up there um, by the Howlands. And uh, some gentleman was camcordering and all of a sudden we were waiting for the rest of the tour to, to catch up to us and he was just filming, just doing a panoramic view when all of a sudden his, his camera... Um, his, the first thing, his hair started to stand on ends, and then his camera got a little fuzzy, and as my rest of the tour group was coming up, it looked like somebody took a balloon to their hair, and it was just all electrified. Wow. Everybody's cameras went dead, and everybody's cameras remained dead until we got back to the waterfront, and the gentleman had a spare battery in his camcorder, and when he put it in there, he had a, a figure that came from behind the tree, a tall cloaked figure, kind of just stared him down, and then the static went in on his um, little camcorder, started to fade, and, and that was it. I mean, that was like one of our f first major experiences. Now, Tom, I know that uh, with, with all the great sites that you must bring people through on, on a historical tour, people that I know that take historical tours everywhere... No, even non-paranormal people, it's always the cemeteries, always the burial grounds that seem to draw the most attention and, and seem to be the, the fan favorites of the tour. Is that the case with Burial Hill with a lot of the people that you bring around? Uh, yeah, I would say Burial Hill is definitely the highlight of the uh, Ghost and Legend walking tour that we do, which um, we do that every night, April through November. And uh, pretty much up there is one of the most active places for people who do get ghost pictures. I can't think of any other cemeteries where I've heard of people getting more pictures. Pretty much every time that I go up there to get pictures, we get something. And um, everybody that I know does as well. Now, uh, for those who aren't, aren't familiar with, with the idea of, of Burial Hill, it's kind of set back a little bit from the main road, and you've got to kind of go up this creepy-looking road uh, to get to it. And uh, if you've ever gone to the uh, – I would hope that most of our local audience has gone to run of the mill at some point at the Jenny Grist Mill for the best burgers around. Uh, but if you do go there, it's kind of across the way there. And and uh, it's where a lot of the early settlers of Plymouth uh, lie, including Squano. And what I've... He's probably one of the most fascinating figures to me in colonial Plymouth history because 
here's somebody who, for those who don't know, was kidnapped by the English uh, well before they, they landed here and settled here and brought to England. So when he came back, he was kind of like a, a built-in buffer between the natives and the English. And uh, you, I'm sure that uh, with, with the history of it, Tom, uh, you must discuss quite a bit about whether or not he was betrayed later on in his life, and that led to his death. What's your theory in, in what ended up happening to Squanto? Because he kind of played both sides there, it seemed, for a bit. He did. He was not a member of the Wampanoag tribe. So he was a Patuxet, and those were the Plymouth people. But while he was away um, in Europe, all of his family members died off from some sort of disease, probably either smallpox or maybe rubella, but something just that spread like smallpox very quickly. And it wiped out all the, <clears throat> the folks that lived in the Plymouth area, probably about somewhere between 2,500 and 5,000 people. All were dead. And the only surviving member of that tribe was Squanto. Um, so going to live with the Wampanoags later on when he came back, he was not a family member. It's kind of <laughs> like <laughs> the Italians down in Providence. You're either in the family or you're not. And, and, and the theory, I, I guess, is that when he came down with an illness is that he was poisoned. Uh, and... It, we've seen this in, in a number of other Native American figures in history. Uh, w- with there's the suspicions with uh, Wamsutta, and then of course that all hell broke loose between the natives and the and the clo- uh, colonists then. Uh, but and I know he's in an unmarked grave within Burial Hill. Is there any idea of exactly where he might lie? No, Janice, you're shaking your head. No, no I, don't, I don't believe I know. I don't know where he is. I'm, I'm just wondering if any investigators have ever gone out there. Scott, I don't know if you've heard of any investigators going out there trying to figure out where his body is. Uh, we haven't actually looked at him. Um, so, no. We have Massasoit's, <laughs> Mass, um, uh, King Philip's head, which curses uh, the town square. Well, it's not there anymore, thankfully, but uh, that, that's a very interesting story. Was it 20 years that it stood outside the, the entrance to Plymouth after they yeah, Something like 27 them? years. Yeah, that's there. ridiculous to imagine. Hey, can I check real quick? Sure, absolutely. I'm sorry. The uh, and this is just for just for my curiosity, since like I said, the most of the country does, is not aware of what's going on. Now, when Squanto was taken captive and brought back to America, he was recaptured and taken to Spain and sold into slavery. Now, the story says he was captured with 29 other braves. Is as far as your legend and from being in the area, is there a, is there anything else ever said about those other Indians who was taken captive? No, that's well, a good question. <laughs> I don't. I don't believe that he was taken at the same time. But uh, Samoset was another native person who spoke English and very similar to Squanto had been captured the same way. But I don't believe it was at the same time. So there's 29 other potential, you know, go-betweens there that we don't know anything about. But you know, Craig, it's always the controversial ones that survive in history. Sure, sure. And, and one other thing, but before we get too deep into this, and, and this is just for, for my reference and, of course, people all over the country and internationally as well that may not know about it, but I have just got finished with the book, uh, The Physics Books of Deliverance Dane, which talked about the Salem witch, witch trials. Uh, and in doing some research on that, I came across a paper from James Baker, the former research director of the Plymouth Plantation, and he's stated that the English, when they came here, brought with them the myths, the legends, the herbals, uh, all the symbolism. But none of the writings that I can find relate to any of that. Do you have any information, or can you tell us what they brought with them and how that plays into what we're looking at today? 
No, I, I think you got everybody stumped there too. Okay, sorry. <laughs> no, that's all right. I mean, uh, see, we take for granted, Craig, the fact that we're right down the street from Plymouth Plantation, but uh, there, you know, there's actually a whole. It's not just a, a quote-unquote historical theme park. There's a whole research group there. Um, I mean, that's. I would definitely suggest getting in touch with them for more information about things like that. Right, you know, because I always thought that the that the myths and legends they brought with them that had to play a, something in, to in their daily lives. Sure, it had to affect them hugely, and that's the reason that was the curiosity for the question. All right, well, we are coming up on the news, so we're going to have to take a break here. But when we come back, we're going to get more into the ghosts of Plymouth, uh, including plenty of sites that you can actually go out, just hop in your car at any time of night, and drive by and check out. I'll share a story about something that happened to me. I'm not convinced it was something paranormal, but something happened to me when I was younger at uh, at a statue that I cannot get my wife to go up and look at. Uh, <laughs> and there's a few of them around Plymouth, but this one is uh, especially creeps her out. And we'll talk some more about some of these locations, especially downtown, these older locations. But there's also some more modern haunts as well. So we'll get into all that and more. Remember, if you want to view the Spooky Studio uh, on your ca- uh, computer, you can go to SpookySouthCoast.com slash SpookyTV. That's where we're going to be broadcasting from now. And we're going to make the change on the website over the course of the week so that that can direct everybody there. But for whoever has the uh, has it bookmarked on their Computer, that's uh, the new link, SpookySouthCoast.com slash SpookyTV, where you can get the archive videos, all the different apps to be able to watch it on the go, and, of course, the chat to interact with us. And if anybody out there is listening and you're out and about in Plymouth, uh, we encourage you, if you go to any of these sites, hey, let us know. Maybe there's some stuff going on. We always do our Bridgewater Triangle investigation show where we send teams out to these various locations that we talk about, and then we have them report back on anything that might be going on. So maybe some night we can have you know, all the different Plymouth sites, and you guys can be out on the tours calling in with anything that might be going on as well. So, uh, And if you want to check out the websites uh, during the news break, deadofnightghosttours.com, lanterntours.com, and pilgrimparanormal.com. And you can find out more about the team and about the tours and, and figure out for yourself uh, when you can get out there and take some of these tours. How late do you guys go into the season with each of your tours? I'm open all year round until the snow flies. There you go. Uh, we have a regular schedule every night up through Thanksgiving. And then if you do call in for reservations uh, anytime, we would take you out. Preferably on the uh, the more mild days. Yeah, not in the middle of a blizzard. (laughs) So there you have it. So, again, uh, deadofnightghosttours.com and lanterntours.com to take one of those tours. We're going to take a break, and we'll be back with more uh, broadcasting here on Spooky TV and on our history project and all their different incantations. So we'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. Spooky South Coast is back. It's Saturday night. I have no date. A two-liter bottle of Shasta and my all-rush mixtape. Let's rock. I'm not afraid. You will be. Supernatural is 
Welcome back. Hour number two here on Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, science advisor, Matt Moniz. And we are broadcasting live on Spooky TV, SpookySouthCoast.com slash Spooky TV. And uh, we are also simulcasting on our history project. And we have Craig Anderson of our history project joining us as our co-host tonight. Craig, why don't you give everybody all the different places where they can hear your show each week? OurHistoryProject.com and Our History Project on air. You can always catch us on iTunes, uh, Zoom Market, any place that holds a webcast or a podcast. Uh, we have a show, a historical-based show every Saturday, and on Monday nights you can hear us live on OurHistoryProject.com. And with that, we deal with the artifacts and the physical aspects of our American history. So come on over and hear a story of our America. Absolutely. And, uh, of course, that interview that we did uh, a few weeks ago for Spook, uh, Ghosts of the South Coast is up there as well for people to check out. Absolutely. Absolutely. You got your own page now, Tim. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's uh, it's worth keeping up for a few more weeks and then just get rid of it because it's just taking up web space. All our archives live there forever. All right. Same here. So uh, you can hear uh, the, the episodes that we've had Craig on as our guest as well. Uh, in the Spooky South Coast Archives. And tonight we are talking about the ghosts of Plymouth. And uh, we have joining us, we have Janice Williams of the Dead of Night Ghost Tours. We have Tom Finn of Colonial Lantern Tours of Plymouth. And Scott Stal- Stalter of uh, Pilgrim Paranormal Research. And we're talking about some of the different locations. Uh, a lot of them with a historical bent to them, of course, uh, being in America's hometown. And we were talking about Burial Hill. And, Scott, I know you said that you guys have been out there and done some investigation. What are some of the things that have happened uh, while you've been out there? Burial Hill is yet to let me down. Uh, there's not a night that goes that we don't have some type of, of something happen. But um, one thing that, that we find is, is a little more unique with Burial Hill as opposed to most cemeteries, most cemeteries, people don't die there. They're brought there after the dead, whereas with Burial Hill has a pretty gruesome past from, you know, from everything from, from uh, mass graves of sailors from out in the, the harbor and uh, – you know, hanging trees. You know, they used to do their business at the courthouse down the hill. They take them up to Burial Hill, hang them, and bury them. So it's it's got a little bit of a more unique past to it than than most cemeteries. Yeah, that definitely sounds like a place we got to get out and check out. We have a lot of luck in cemeteries, uh, so we'll have to get out there and check it out. There's, there is another uh, another Burial Hill uh, in Plymouth as well. And although I know there's some there is some controversy about whether or not it's actually true, but uh, at Coles Hill. It's supposedly where the uh, pilgrims buried uh, the first of them to, to die off in that first winter. Uh, wh- what's the theory? Does anybody know what the theory is as to why they use that hill? Because I've heard there's actually a reason why they use Coles Hill. Well, I think it was um, they used Coles Hill because it was more secluded. Um, the last thing you want the Native Americans to know is how many people are dying because then you'd be overtaken by the Native Americans. So everything was done in secrecy on the lower hill, and they buried their dead in the dark. And it wasn't until after King Philip's War when they had a better relationship with the Native Americans that the fort was taken down, and that, then it was utilized, Burial Hill, as um, the place of burial. And for those who are not familiar or only have a passing familiarity with Plymouth, that would be the hill where the Wax Museum is and, and right. Pilgrim Hall, and, and that's where you have the... Plymouth Rock right in front of it, Yes. which I'm sorry to disappoint people that are listening outside of the area. <laughs> it's not the actual rock they landed on. Shh, don't give away our secrets. <laughs> I know, but I always thought it was really convenient that they decided to step foot right on the rock that already said 1620 on it. Yeah. So they just knew right where to go. Um, well, 400 years ago, that all looked quite a bit different. And uh, where the rock is, that was the, 
the point of the hill. Not it, Today it's a little cove, mm-hmm. so it looks like you'd come into a cove there and land there, but it actually was the opposite um, pattern of, of land. So the hill 400 years ago was a little taller and uh, steeper, and it dropped off at the edge. Today there's like a four-foot stone wall that takes you down to the street level, mm-hmm. but you got to imagine that going all the way down to the water, which would have been uh, at least 12 to 15 feet. And having the rock there, it was three times the size of, of what it is today. Two-thirds of it is missing from souvenir hunters that have chipped away at it. Oh, wow. Which it really got famous in the Revolution. And that's when people were chipping away during the Revolution, looking for separation from England, sort of that holy spot where they first hopped off the boat. Oh. But the burials up there, um, I would say that it was, you know, like Jan said, for the secrecy. They were being watched. They could look off their ship and see the natives keeping an eye on them and they didn't want to reveal their weakness for sure and they would bring them in at night and bury them up there secretly uh, so that no one would find them but the first two that they did find in a washout was a man and a woman buried side by side and they could tell that from the hip bones a dog had found a femur bone down on the beach uh, one day and they just went looking up there and they found across the top of the hill at least 27 sets of bones Wow! over the years and some of them are undisturbed for sure in certain sections and others of them i mean it it definitely slows down your construction project if you find a a pilgrim burial so some people you know haven't admitted to uh to finding things what's interesting too is now they have the massasoit statue and uh, you know we're talking about them kind of burying them under the secrecy and trying to avoid the native seeing them and it's kind of like he's out there looking out and it's underneath him it's like the joke's on you Massasoit. <laughs> you know what are you looking for uh but it i found some interesting uh, information out about uh coles hill including the fact that the town has never actually from as long as that land has been there they've never sold it off it's been it's remained you know that town property uh that that's really interesting especially considering it's a prime waterfront view you know, you would think that at some point somebody wanted to build a, a big luxury apartment building or something right on the end there, but it's maintained that historical level right there. I think the the state owns Cold Hill now. That's all state property down there, oh, Pilgrim okay. so Memorial Park. Part, yeah, it was given park. from the town of Plymouth to the state to, for better, I think, better keeping of it. So some of the best waterfront property around owned by you, the state. you can't get your hands on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe someday they'll have to auction it off. Uh, and then th- there's another uh, memorial there. There's a sarcophagus, uh, which is really interesting because, for those who don't know, that's basically a like a coffin that yeah. doesn't get buried. And uh, that's where they've actually put some of the remains of some of these pilgrims that have been found. Pretty close to their place of burial. Is is there any reports of activity? Uh, maybe, Scott, you have heard too. Is there any reports of any activity surrounding that sarcophagus, knowing that it's you know, the remains of these pilgrims? We get a lot of photographs of, of little girls up there. They're not pilgrims. They're, one looks like dating from the 50s, another one maybe um, dating up maybe back from the 1800s, just by the appearance of their clothing. Haven't gotten any pilgrims up in that area or Native Americans. Yeah, we're the same thing with the little girl. We've, we've seen, I, don't, I know of one, kind of up the street a little further, but you know we haven't done a lot of work down by the sarcophagus. Well, talking about little girl spirits, uh, you know, we can talk about the Spooner House Museum on North Street. And uh, this was built in 1747 and run by five generations of the Spooner family. And supposedly there's a little girl spirit that uh, inhabits this uh, particular museum. Yeah, the, the Spooner family is uh, the wealthiest family in the history of Plymouth. 
and they started in the China trade and then later on got into the rope making business. And they, um, the youngest son, Nathaniel Bornspooner, started up that Plymouth Cordage Company, which I know um, Bob was a security guard over there, right? Oh, Where cool, because we're going to be talking about Cordage Park a little so bit later on. All about that. But um, they did. They had the rope making company. They did really well. And um, from the story that I've heard about the little girl ghost is that she was an orphan who lived in the house during the revolution and that they took in tons and tons of orphans because they were so wealthy and they were able to have these people there. And um, it was a psychic who came on our tour. Um, her last name is Weiss. I think her first name is Carol. But uh, she came on our tour and she came up with this information that, that this was a little girl who was a, an orphan there that had died. And it, and it seems to be uh, a lot of people seem to have an experience with this little girl. And uh, one one of the theories that I read on online is that uh, uh, she actually died of an abscessed tooth, which, you know, now we think is not a big deal. But back then, you know, it was just not so easy to deal with the dental problems of uh, – I don't remember when I went to my first dentist in Plymouth as a lad. But uh, it, and she does cause a lot of problems. There's a lot of reports of activity surrounding her in this museum. Uh, Scott, have you had a chance to investigate there? Uh, we've The problem there is it's we've had a lot of trouble trying to get in because mm -hmm. it is a museum. And uh, so a lot of the investigating we do is, is, is an alleyway that runs by the side of it or, you know, around the front of it. And there's been quite a, bit, quite a few reports of, of the same girl in different businesses up and down the street there. Um, I, I want to say it was on one of the Colonial Lantern tours. Um, they had a group going up. This is a secondhand story, but they had a group going up with a little kid saying that he was seeing a little girl in the, in the window. And, you know, nobody else saw it, but, you know, they walked up. Um, maybe one of you guys could, I don't know if, if you knew the story from that. It's, uh, it's always uh, it's, uh, people this, are always seeing things in, yeah, in and, that house. Yeah, and children. It's usually the kid groups, the scout groups. That's the most ghost sightings. Yeah. that we tend to have <laughs> on the tours. Uh, and then some of those you kind of got to dismiss. But uh, it seems like uh, child spirits are always the most active too. They're always the ones that want to come out and play uh, more often than not. Uh, and it's interesting because there's uh, another uh, location there on, on North Street is another museum, the Trask Museum, and the Captain Taylor House. And this is, if anybody's ever read Edward Lodi's books here on the area, uh, there's one called The Haunted Pram. Well, this is where the haunted pram resides. And Craig, do you know what a pram is? Yes, it's an old-fashioned baby stroller with large wheels. And uh, in all of your, uh, in all of the different relic hunting episodes that you've done, has, has anybody ever reported coming up with a haunted one, or do we have the only one up here? I don't think I've ever ha had one person ever say they found anything remotely close to it. Well, this is... I did have a question about Abigail. Sure. When I was looking through in some of the legends that I've heard about Abigail, and maybe your panel here can absolutely shed some light on it, uh, especially because Janice, Tom, and Scott have, are there, some of the legends say that this little girl follows people home. Is true? Not true? Have you heard any stories about that? Absolutely true. Absolutely. We've you, had, sound, you sound like you're speaking from experience. Well, not from, not from my experience. We had we had a little girl follow one of our one of our actual founders of our group home. Um we're assuming it was a little girl. Um, I guess he had had he had had a a long ride somewhere, and he he kept feeling something whacking around at his legs. And uh, usually he'll burn he'll burn sage in his in his truck. If you know when we leave an investigation, we always go through and do some type of uh, you know a cleansing to mm -hmm. try and keep stuff away. And this time he he decided not to or forgot to. And uh, yeah, he 
I believe he he had, he had a long road trip. Ended up coming back. And he ended up it, it bothered him so much. He ended up back at the cemetery. Talked to it. Talked to her the whole way back to the to the cemetery, and uh, you know brought her back up with him, let her go, and then he cleansed himself on the way back out. And yeah, it was a it really bothered him. <laughs> well, uh, with well, Col- Colonial yeah. Lantern tours and, and and Dead of Night tours, if the ghost comes home with you, do you have to charge that person extra? <laughs> <laughs> From my experience, they've always stayed there. They're pretty settled right in that area. I haven't had any, but I've get, I've gotten emails of people asking me who the little girl looks out of the windows, why does she look so sad, who who lives in the house, but I've never had anybody call and say, hey, I've got a spirit in my back, you know, my back seat. They pretty much stay with a. That's a great idea for an additional revenue stream. There you go, and then, you know, there's no way to really prove it one way or the other. So, I'm uh, sorry, Craig, you were saying before. No, that's fine. They answered my question beautifully. Thank you. Okay, uh, and this. Uh, this idea of the spirit looking out the window with a little girl at the Spooner House Museum. There's also a woman, apparently, that's seen at the, the Trask Museum gazing out the window. Is that kind of the idea of this, you know, waiting for the... You know, we always hear these stories about somebody waiting for a love to return from being out at sea. Is that kind of what what's associated with this woman that's seen there? Yeah, that's what I'm picking up on. She's just looking out at the harbor waiting for the love of her life to return. Yeah, we had one of our tour guides that used to live in that building in uh she no longer does the tours anymore. She actually, because of what she saw there from the outside, having lived there and, and known that it was haunted, um, she saw a woman with a candle walking from one end of the building to the other, except that it's broken up by several apartments and there's no access. <laughs> so it really frightened her knowing the layout and what she was watching with the group um, while they were out there. And that, that one they do call the lady in white, and she is seen with a candle going from window to window back and forth and i wish that I, I wish i had the words to describe to people not familiar with the area what this area of plymouth looks like i mean you're basically stepping back in time uh you know to 16 you know 20s uh, on up to the uh, early 1700s it's it's a it's an amazing area and if you've never been here definitely make the trip and uh you can take these tours and experience some of this and and you can just get lost in the history on your own too um, yeah, it does have the oldest uh, three streets in America. The the first street didn't have a name originally. It was just the street when they had only one street. <laughs> That's all then you need. Later on, it became uh, called First Street. There's um, first, second, and third, and then it became uh, First Street, Middle, uh, Middle, and North. No, and New Street. Fr- New, New Street, street. Yeah. and then it was uh, King, King and Queen. Um, prior to the revolution also yeah. there was some name changes i think new street went more where main street is well, that was north street north street okay. that was north street was originally new street and then north street north street right and there so, was a, a gate over there too at the um the time around the king philip war yeah but those are the three streets that are there today it's Leiden, middle and north are the three oldest streets in america they're you know permanently settled and Certainly, if there's ghost activity, it would be there. Absolutely. And, and, and of course, the roads cross, and we all know what happens at, at crossroads, those of us in the paranormal. Um, also, downtown is something that I, I I wrote a book recently, Ghosts of the South Coast, and I've been out promoting it for the past couple of months. And I did some signings at Edaville and during their Cranberry Festival. And probably about four or five different people came up to me and asked me if I'd ever been to the, the courthouse, the 1749 courthouse in Plymouth. And they 
all shared with me experiences, and they, they're similar to the reports that I'm sure happen on the tours of, uh, of hair pulling and, and uh, the, the, the sounds of dragging bodies was the one that really kind of got me That's when awesome. they're telling me about that. Because <laughs> no, when I did a little bit of research on it, I found out they used it as a morgue yeah. at one point, and so that the fact that they're still dragging the ghostly bodies around <laughs> Tom's getting a, a shiver here, but um, th- that must be a highlight for people, not only because of the activity that comes out of it, but just because of the history associated with the building. Yep. Uh, that's where the sailors of the Brigantine Honor were laid to rest when they took them off the ship um, that ran aground off um, the, the, in the Plymouth Harbor. That was the the perfect storm back in uh, 1778. Uh, they, a ship had set sail from Boston, and it was supposed to be going to aid the Patriots in the war against the British. But because of the storm, and it was so fierce and bad, the captain, he decided he'd come into Plymouth Harbor to wait. But he didn't know the storm was going to last three days, and it was, I, I guess, with fury. And um, it, the men just died. They froze to death. There was no way they could get in, no way people could get out to them. Wow. And by the end of the third day, people went out in sleds to retrieve them off that ship. But by then it was too late. Most of those men had froze to death. So now they're pulling these bodies in. They don't know what to do with them. And the courthouse became the makeshift of the morgue. And they just lined all these bodies. They dragged them. Some of the men were so frozen together that they had to thaw these barricades of men in the town brook um, before they could get taken into the courthouse. So I, I didn't get that on the school tour. <laughs> <laughs> well, they did. They brought in... Um there's two ships. There's the General Arnold and also the Revenge, and they had sailed together out of Boston. In the typical weather pattern, just like today, you'd have a storm would come through from west to east, and then that's it. But the Nor'easters gather up their strength at sea and drop back in on us, and they didn't have any satellite warnings or anything like that. So this one caught them totally by surprise, one of the worst Northeasters that you could imagine, dumped tons and tons of snow in the town. No one could even see them out there, or they could hear the men screaming but nobody could even really see anything because it was a total whiteout blizzard, and it's just about a mile out. But it was after a while um, they were able to build a bridge of ice and make a, a, a makeshift road out there to get horses and carts, and they brought in 88 bodies. And the men had got into the supplies they were carrying on the ship, um, the Arnold, which is the only one of the two ships that sank. The other ship sailed out the storm just fine and got away without having any trouble. But there's this one ship iced up, and uh, the mass broke, it blew into the inner harbor, broke into two pieces, and the men started drinking the rum that was <laughs> on board and got uh, really drunk, which is not a good idea. If you're going to be out in the cold, yeah, you don't ever want to drink alcohol because you'll freeze to death a lot quicker. And that they huddled together, and it might have been some special form of rigor mortis, but they were never able to pry the bodies apart. And there's no photography from it, but there are some sketches so, and you could see the expressions from the sketches that I've seen. It looked like some of them froze to death, still screaming. Ooh. So it's really, really a gruesome uh, menagerie of bodies, you know, 80, 88 bodies. Some of them got claimed by family members, but there are 66 of them up in the mass grave. They had made a coffin, I heard. I don't know if it's uh, true or not, but they made a coffin for each man. But they couldn't fit them in. They couldn't use them because they were unable to pry them apart. Some of the guys even had to be chopped out of the rigging of the ship. Wow. Like frozen up in the rigging, trying to stay dry. And then you have the two men that were um, John Russell and somebody else. They were buried together um, on the backside of Burial Hill. So, uh, why they were buried together, I don't know whether they were frozen to death, but they, were, they weren't in the mass grave. And if you think of anything for a 
investigation standpoint of somewhere where there might be activity. You know, you've got this mass grave of, grave of men that, you know, really died a horrific death. You know, if there's going to be some type of residual energy, you know, it, that's, and again, that's on Burial Hill. And like I said, Burial Hill is yet to let me down when I go up there. <laughs> uh, and, and a story like that is, uh, you know, that really hits home what it was that they endured uh, at that time and that, you know, we, we take for granted a lot of the technology that we have now and the fact that we're able to avoid these kind of things. Um, but just, I couldn't imagine what it would be like to, to be out there and basically knowing that you're not just dying but slowly dying. Uh, and and I, you've given me an image that will stay with me, I think, there, Tom, with that <laughs> description. What do you think of that, Craig? Well, you have to remember, at this certain point of time, even the slightest basic necessity that was missing was a life-or-death struggle, you know, uh, food, water, and shelter, and not all the time did you not have that. And, and I'm curious to know from your guest panel, uh, and i, I got to ask this question before we get out of here or we run out of time, but what would you be, what would you say that if you're not from the area, what is the the one thing if I come to Plymouth, what is the one place I have to go not only for the historical but for the haunted? Yeah, we'll go right down the line, Janice. What do you think? I would say you have to stop at the courthouse and then walk into Burial Hill. Those are my two favorite places. The courthouse has a lot of the history in there, um, a lot of cool artifacts that they found in town. Um, you can go upstairs to the second floor, which is a recreation of how the courthouse looked way back when. You could actually see part of the gallows dating back to the 1800s. So that's kind of cool. And, Craig, I guarantee you that if you do go to visit Plymouth, you will go to the courthouse because isn't that where the public bathroom is? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so you're going to have <laughs> yeah, to definitely spend some, some quality time downstairs. You don't have to make a deposit. Just go hang out. <laughs> Tom, what would you say? Uh, I would say... Over by the town brook is a is a really um, interesting place, very spiritual, where they had the um, both the natives and the pilgrims who would spend time there. The natives really weren't allowed into the village, so they had to stay up on uh, Watson's Hill, and they would have been sort of meeting right down by the brook in a little hollow area, and that's supposedly where they had the first Thanksgiving, too. So right over there, um, there was a, a big weeping willow tree, and they cut it down couple of years ago, but supposedly right under that tree is where the first Thanksgiving was. And then also um, Burial Hill is another real spot where you just don't want to miss it. It'd be a good place for condos, like you say, you know, up on the hill. Yeah. <laughs> and um, William Bradford <clears throat> would have been the one who picked it as their burial spot and certainly a good decision, but based on their religious beliefs, which were a lot different than ours today. I wonder if uh, any of the Burial Hill spirits ever bother the guests of the John Carver Inn. You know, because you're, you're within pretty good walking distance for a ghost right there. They say the third floor is uh, they have some unusual things. All the doors will close. They'll leave them open for the winter months, and people go up there, and all the doors are closed, and nobody fesses up as to who closed them. The only spirits I've encountered there are down the hearth and kettle. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the good kind. Yeah. Scott, what would you yeah, say? Oh, it's funny you mention that. My, uh, my supervisor actually has he used to work. Uh, I don't know if he was cleaning rooms or if he was part of the maintenance crew. And uh, he said there was, again, the third floor, he said there was always, he, he just, he had, you know, an ample amount of stories. But by far, Burial Hill, uh, there's, again, not a night that I've gone up there, you know, to, and I haven't yet to be let down. We'll, you know, we, we'll go out for, uh, we'll go out for our team meeting. You know, we'll go down, down to the uh, San Diego's and, you know, have a drink while we're having a meeting. And uh, we always end up on Burial Hill, always end up there. And for me, Craig, I would tell you that uh, you can go to the Jenny Grist Mill because it is the oldest uh, operating mill in the country, and you can feed the ducks and then, of course, have a burger at one of the mill. 
and also oh. get me one to go. There, there is a small fine <laughs> if you do get yeah. caught feeding the ducks. Oh, really? <laughs> You're not supposed to. It's a $20 yeah. fine. Okay, never mind. Forget I said that. Just do it anyway, Craig. It's funny you mentioned uh, Run of the Mill, too. That's, um, we did an investigation there two years ago now, and uh, we had one of our founders was kind of the skeptic, the skeptic of the group, and uh, that's where he had his very first full-body operation experience. Wow, excellent. Yeah, that was it was very impressive. Did they did they feed you while you were investigating? No. It was, it was uh, late night. They had already shut everything down. It would have well, been nice though. We worked for food, so <laughs> was that with the owner, Tom, that died there? Was it who did they see? Uh from what he explained, it was a darker skinned person. Um and it was this was actually in the back room by where they hold the functions with the uh the closed door between the old the old mill and the and the new restaurant and uh he said it was a darker skinned guy that he could see. And uh, so, I mean, we were leaning towards, you know, an Indian, mm-hmm. you know. It's, yeah, I just was curious. A lot of people have talked about seeing the um, the most recent owner. He he passed away in there, and people have talked about seeing him in there. Yeah, that's well, we were looking at that, too. So. Now I know to keep an eye out when I'm having a burger and a beer. Yeah. <laughs> There's like, they actually got quite a few stories. Um, they actually had, when we went to go do the investigation, they had some patrons come in, people that are, you know, always there. And... Uh, Plenty of stories. Wow. Plenty of stories. Well, and and that's a place that everybody can go and check out. Uh, another place that people can go, and I know there's not a lot of, I mean, I looked on the Internet, and we're kind of sticking in the downtown area here. Um, I looked on the Internet. I didn't find a lot of stories associated with this location, uh, but I had an experience there when I was younger, and that is the National Monument to the Forefathers, or the Forefathers Monument, as a lot of people call it shorthand. Uh, and that's on Allerton and for those who have never seen it, imagine, you know, the most beautiful statue that just appears out of nowhere because you're driving through a residential neighborhood, and there it is at the top of this hill in this little park overlooking the water, and it's one main statue, uh, which is Faith, and then it's surrounded by four smaller statues and then uh, little reliefs uh, all the way around it. And it's, I mean, you can spend, you know, an hour there just reading all the different information there and, and, and finding out more about what this monument was built for. And it's 81 feet tall, so you you would think it wouldn't pop out of nowhere, but it, it kind of does. And when I was younger, my dad used to deliver newspapers uh, throughout the whole town. And uh, we would stop there, and he'd let me go up to the top of the hill and watch the sunrise. And so I was up there one day, and I see, as I'm standing on one side of the statue, I see somebody running around on the other side. So I kind of go around. And it's split for those who have never seen it. It's split. The main face statue is in the middle, and then she sits kind of like on a cross of the other statues. And so as I'm going around the side, this person darts away again. And I kept going and going and going, and I was convinced that it must have been my dad messing with me because every time I looked, there was nobody there. and There's there's nowhere else for them to go. It's a big, wide-open field. I would have seen them uh, coming or going. So when I went back down to the car, he was sitting in the car sleeping. So (laughs) it wasn't him. Uh, so I don't know what it was, but that was uh, my experience, and that's, you know, my wife won't go up there. Every, I brought my son there just last week, and uh, she wouldn't go up and take a look at it. So has there been any reports that any of you have heard of anything going on up there? Not that I know. I haven't been up there in a professional manner. I mean, going up there, hanging out for lunch, you know, that's about it. There's been a lot of problems there at night, like uh, fighting of local teens and, and a lot of different altercations and muggings up there in the past but <laughs> not nothing recent they've been really keeping a close eye on it since the state did take it over from the pilgrim society but it's the largest uh solid granite monument in the world 
It's, I think, 87 and a half feet tall. Solid granite. Solid granite. Yeah, Which, uh, <laughs> it came from, uh, I think it came down from Quincy, the granite for that. But it came down by rail for sure, and they, <clears throat> they built it right there on the site. It took years and years and years to build, and I think Abraham Lincoln was the one that kind of helped it get finished off with his own personal donation of, I think, around $5,000, which wow, must have been a lot, a lot back money, then. Yeah. Yeah. And, and solid granite, of course, means that it's full of quartz, <laughs> which means that it's uh, a good recorder of uh, electrical energy, which means that it's, if it's going to be a haunt there, uh, it's going to help uh, factor into its uh, continued uh, experiencing there. So de- definitely check that spot out. If anybody has ever had an experience there, email me, Tim at SpookySouthCoast.com. I just want to know if anybody else saw the same thing that I did. Uh, another spot kind of on the other end of downtown before we go a little bit north because I definitely want to talk about Cordage Park uh, is uh, is uh, let me make sure I say it's the Jabez Howland House am I yeah, saying that my, right? One of my favorites. JB's yeah, Howland it. House <clears throat> and this is a, a fascinating spot because it's we know for sure that this is a, a pilgrim dwelling and uh, have there been a lot of reports because I didn't see a lot of reports associated with it but I'm assuming that you must hear stories about things going on there paranormal wise Last summer, when they were doing some renovations on the outside, they were shingling the outside of it. And what we find is spirits hate change. And right now, if you notice, the Spooner House is under renovation. So I'm eager to hear what those workers have to say. <laughs> but anyway, getting back to the Howland House, um, we had one of the one of the men that were was doing the shingles on the outside. And he wanted to fin- finish up his bundle of shingles before he left for the night. He noticed that the curator of the museum had already left. And he was just nonchalantly banging the nails in. And he saw a small child go from one part of the house to the other. And he kind of did one of these and was looking in there. And then it kind of unnerved him because he knew what he had saw and now he's tapping on the window trying to get whatever to come closer. And his first thought was one of the museum curator people that were work there left their baby there. A lot of the museums or, you know, the plantation, some of the ladies bring their children, you know, and work on the, at, at the buildings. So he figured that one of the, the ladies put the baby down for a nap, maybe left it, went home and forgot it. I mean, it happens. So he's tapping on the window. It, it it nerved him so much that he ended up calling the police. The police come, and they got the museum curator there. They opened the house. Of course, it was nothing. And and the museum curator said that it was probably Bethia, a small child that drowned in a bucket of water back in the 1700s. Wow. So, I mean, and to have, again, direct connections with history like that yeah. is it's just you, you can't beat it. I mean, you, nowhere else in the country can you match the history uh, of the ghosts that we have in this area. Uh, why don't we take a break, since we, we haven't taken a break uh, in a while. So let's take one. When we come back, we're going to talk about a few more locations uh, before we go. I don't know if we're going to get to actually play some of the evidence that Pilgrim Paranormal has, but it's on their website. If you go to pilgrimparanormal.com, you can check out EVPs. Yep. What are some of the locations that you have some evidence from on your site? Uh, we just recently, uh, a couple weeks ago, did the 1820 Courthouse. We had full run of the place, and that's uh, that's on the website. Um, there's quite a bit of audio clips. We actually got one really good picture from there, too. Um, what else have we done? I mean, we do bury the hill a ton. You know, that's we're always up there. Um, and, I mean, we, we're everywhere. We're not just Plymouth. You know, it's New Hampshire to Connecticut, you know, and wherever they need us, you know. So there you so. go. If you need an investigative team, pilgrimparanormal.com, that's the way to go. Never charge for an investigation. 
Well, of course, the good ones never do. Never. Except for the ones that say that they work for food, like Spooky South Coast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll take a break, and uh, when we come back, we'll talk about some more locations. Uh, and if you want to call in with any questions real quickly before the end of the show, you can call in at one eight seven seven nine nine six fourteen twenty. Uh, 508-996-0500 for local calls. Uh, of course, Craig won't be able to hear you because we've got him on Skype, but we are broadcasting on our historyproject.com as well. So stay tuned. We'll be back with more here on Spooky South Coast. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast and also to our history project, Tim Weisberg, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, science advisor, Matt Moniz, and of course, Craig Anderson from our history project is on the line as well. And don't be shy, Craig. Just jump in whenever you have any questions or, or anything that you want to ask the guests. Fantastic. Thank you, Tim. All right. And uh, we, one of the spots that I definitely want to make sure we talk about is Cordage Park, because not only is it a, a really cool historical spot that needs to have more attention thrown on it, I think. Um, I don't know what's going on with it now. I haven't been there since Walmart moved. But uh, it, it, it seems like it's something that was falling by the wayside for a while, and I know there were some plans to reinvigorate it. Um, but it was founded in 1824 uh, as the Plymouth Cordage Company, and basically they make rope. And uh, for a long time it was the biggest producer of rope, I think, in the country, right? And it later in became world, yeah. in the world. Yeah. And it later became, you know, in, in our time, uh, it closed down in the what the nineteen early nineteen hundreds or uh, went out of business in nineteen sixty four out of over one hundred and forty years of continuous operation and and you know in the eighties it's kind of became more small shops like a little World mall. War two put it out of business really and uh, the Dupont's invention of nylon yeah that would that would yeah. do it yep <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so. Uh, when I was there, it was you know like a bunch of little shops, and there was a flea market there, and uh, we had a table there when I was younger. And one of the jobs that I used to get to do was they used to let me go around and open all the doors so that people could get into the main part where all the shops were. And that was one creepy place uh, <laughs> to to be walking around alone in the dark. And, and Bob, you actually worked there. I worked there for about two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> was it uh, was it the ghost that got you? Is that no the they made a law. We had to carry firearms at the time, and I wasn't old enough to carry a firearm. I was only 17 when I first started the job. But where the flea market was was actually built in 17, and back in the 1700s, the legend was they had a ship come in that was off fighting off the the British out in Plymouth Harbor. Three men, three of the men mutinied, and they actually pulled them into Plymouth Harbor. And they brought him up to Cordage Park, and they actually hung him from chains. And every once in a while, he'd be standing down there, and the elevator would go up and down by itself. Mm-hmm. And we'd have to walk down the end of the building and clock in with our little keys. You could hear the men screaming. You could hear, like, chains Ooh. dragging across the floor. So uh, yeah. all these all these denials of reports of ghosts are <laughs> are just to keep people out of there, huh? No. <laughs> well, basically, they don't want you to go down there because there are tunnels down there, 
And we found out during World War II, they actually stored live ammunition down in the tunnels. And there used to be one tower down there. It's off to the south, a building 17. They used to take the young children and especially young boys, they lower them down the chimneys and scrub the insides of the chimneys out to get the creosalt and stuff that mm-hmm. wouldn't start a fire. So there was actually a report that a little seven-year-old boy fell down into one of the chimneys. They couldn't get him out, and they actually roasted him alive. Yeah. And we'd go down there, and we'd have to clock in one of our clockmen was down that way, and we'd be staying there. You could hear the little boy screaming. You would actually have rocks thrown at you. Wow. So it was kind of freaky out. <laughs> Uh, so I guess I wasn't alone in feeling that when I was uh, walking around that uh, place. And, very spooky place. And uh, <coughs> yes, sorry, Craig. That's okay. The, uh, that brings up a, a good a question. Is I know there's only one house that is left from the Plymouth Colony, but are there other houses there that do have secret passages? And if so, can you get into any of them to to, to look? There's no secret passages that I know that are open to the public in Plymouth, but I know that. Many of the buildings in the downtown are connected by secret tunnels back from the Prohibition time. There was um, a secret hotel in one of the buildings and different things like that, but nobody likes to talk about it. Wow. <laughs> but they're, they're still there? They're just not accessible? Not accessible, but, yes, yeah, still there. Even in the, um, for instance, in the underneath of, uh, it used to be M&M Sporting, because I think now it's an empty space, but it's the, it used to be William Bradford's home on the corner of, uh, Main Street and Market, uh, right there downstairs. There they have a bowling alley, still fully intact in the basement. No wow. pin setters, but there's all kinds of different things down there that you wouldn't expect a bowling alley to be under one of the buildings. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounds really cool. And it, you know, there's if there's one thing we like to try to get into, it's tunnels. And uh, <laughs> our friends at uh, Dartmouth Anomalies Research Team actually have a tank. With a camera mounted on it, a remote control tank that they send into these things. It's, it's pretty funny. So, uh, who knows? Maybe someday, Craig, when you come up here, since you'll be making the trip all the way from Georgia, somebody will let you into a tunnel. I plan on coming up next year. And and by the way, Tim, while we got while we got them here and we had the time, now I know you've given us some great places to go look around and and walk and see on our own. But since you have two tour companies there, I bet they would love to uh, take us out themselves. And how can we get a hold of them? Well, why don't everybody give your contact information for the tours? Oh, sure. For, for Colonial Lenten Tours, if you don't mind, I'll go first. The, um, we have our, our website is the best way to get in touch with us, and it's www.lanterntours.com. And you can go on there and make uh, reservations for any date that you want to come. If you have a special request, like you're really interested in the tunnels, we could try to find some for your group or find out what information is available. So you can make a special request of us. Um, you can just send a, an email to info, I-N-F-O, at lanterntours.com, and we'll be able to respond to your special request. Excellent. So, and especially if anyone who has been on the tour before, if you have any pictures um, that you think are questionable. We, I got one yesterday, and it, the guy was real interested in the ghost that was on the tour guide's back, but it was actually the reflective tape on her jacket you know, <laughs> from the flash was going off, so I had to get back to him and let him know that it was Show them a picture of another jacket just like it. But um, any pictures, you know, we do appreciate people sending in the pictures. And when do you hear about a ghost tour actually debunking some of the evidence that's caught on the tour, you know? (laughs) And uh, and Janice, what about Dead of Night tours? Uh, Dead of Night ghost ghost tours, our website is www.deadofnightghosttours.com. And we are open all year round. 
We just don't do tours when there's snow, and um, we will go out with EMF meters and take you to the most haunted places in Plymouth. All right. Sounds good. And uh, one place that I do want to talk about, which hopefully nobody's leading tours out into at night, uh, is the Miles Standish State Forest, because we talk a lot about the... Freetown State Forest uh, here on Spooky South Coast and a lot of the the negative stuff that goes on out there. Miles Sanders doesn't have the the cult activity at the level of Freetown State Forest, thank God for that. Uh, But there are some pretty uh, paranormal stories coming out of there, including an old uh, asylum or an old some sort of uh, penal facility that supposedly had its its share of paranormal activity. Um, I can't say anything I've... I haven't researched it or, or done any, you know, work out there, so I can't say firsthand. I've spent tons of time in Miles Standard State Forest, and I know they do have the old um, facility there. I'm not sure exactly what the use was. I know at one time they had the um, the men working during the Depression, and so the buildings that, that they used for, I believe it was rehabilitated mental patients if that's the proper word can you say that i don't know yeah, we, we go with that. <laughs> but they were re- people who were rehabilitated from some kind of state care and they they um, lived in this place out in the woods and did different forestry work and then um there was one instance of a, a very horrible murder out there a woman got axe murdered while she was um, riding in the forest with her husband and her child and they were separated um, doing their exercise part of their rides and while the the couple was separated, the woman was uh, murdered, and for a long time the husband was the suspect. And there was a, a pretty lengthy um, time period went by before I think there was finally someone who got um, you know convicted of the crime. But it took I think about twenty years. Yeah, I think Fre- it was from nineteen seventy seven to two thousand three. And Freetown Forest has a similar case where the the man was just incarcerated last year from something that was 20-some-odd years old with the 15-year-old cheerleader. And even now he's still fighting it, so. Yeah, so it's a lot of history, of, and a lot of that does have to do with that kind of activity, um, why those cases took so long. Like in the Freetown case, a lot of that um, unusual activity was part of the, the defense. And I can tell you, though, that the, the Miles Standard State Forest is heavily patrolled. And when you go on these different ghost websites that tell you all these different haunted places, a lot of them will say, you know, warning, heavily patrolled. They're not kidding when they say it about uh, Miles Standish because they've helped me out many times when I've been lost trying to cut <laughs> through there to get from Plymouth home because I actually live, where I live in Wareham actually abuts right on Plymouth and there's some secret passageway back roads that we like to use to get in and out and uh, sometimes I don't always make it the right way in the dark. So <laughs> thank God for all-wheel drive. I think last year they added two full-time state troopers, which they didn't have before. Just, just to patrol the forest? Yeah. yeah. So. And, uh, you know, for, for such a cool place, I don't really hear a lot of reports of people uh, encountering spirits out there. So I think they're just maybe not paying attention enough. I can tell you as a hunter, I'm in Freetown and Miles Standish. You know, not Miles Standish anymore, but, you know, I'm in before the sun comes up and, usually out before after the sun goes down and i've yet to have an experience in either of them you know and i'm always looking i'm always looking (laughs) i can't imagine that in freetown it it hasn't happened yet from everything that goes on out there yeah that's it'll happen i'm always looking it'll happen (laughs) well uh craig we're just about out of time here on the show uh and and it was really cool to be able to simulcast this with you. I mean, we had such a busy show, we didn't really get to have a lot of back and forth, but uh, do you have any other final questions that you want to ask the panel? Uh, no, I can't think of anything Well, other than I was just wondering, how old is that uh, Miles Standish State Forest? When was it conceived? 
Uh, I'm not actually sure uh, when they when they set it all aside as uh, Forest Land. I mean, I know as long as I've been alive, it has been. So that's only like 32 years, though. So <laughs> drop in the bucket. But uh, no, I'll find out for you, Craig, for sure. Uh, and and I, I, again, I just appreciate you having us on, and I'm glad we was able to multicast. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and uh, just let everybody know who our history project is. We're a nonprofit organization based out of McDonough, Georgia. And our mission and vision is the education and preservation of the United States history. You can find us at ourhistoryproject.com. And I thank you very much for having us on, and I've enjoyed it uh, with everybody. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for joining us, and let's do this again sometime. Absolutely. All right. That is Craig Anderson. And definitely check out ourhistoryproject.com. And, and, you know, we're all about history here at Spooky South Coast, and we, we have a saying. We say, come for the ghost, stay for the history. <laughs> you know, it's kind of – and I'm sure you guys see that nowadays with the tours. You know, you can't get kids to pay attention to the stuff, but if you can – I mean, I know when I would I went to school at Nathaniel Morton right downtown in Plymouth, and they used to drag us to all these sites. And if they had just talked about ghosts, they would have held our interest a lot better, <laughs> I think. Uh, so there, there you have it, teachers. Use the ghosts. All right, we'll be back next week with our big Rock for Christmas show. Uh, we're going to preview the upcoming Rock for Christmas show December 10th in Fall River with Wayne Morrison, the founder of Rock for Christmas, and we'll talk to some of the rock stars that he has this year. Uh, I'm hoping that Corey Glover from Living Color can join us because I really want to talk to him because just a big Living Color fan. And uh, he's also going to have Pat Travers there and Terry Luce of XYZ and a whole bunch more. So that'll be our special episode next week, and then we'll get back into the paranormal after that with a whole bunch of stuff lined up. Uh, thanks to everybody for joining us. Again, deadofnightghosttours.com. LanternTours.com, PilgrimParanormal.com, SouthCoastToryAndComic.com, and uh, SpookySouthCoast.com, of course. We're, we're now going to have the video every week on Spooky TV there, so pay attention. Uh, during the week, we'll have all the links changed, and you can change your bookmarks. And until next week, from Matt Costa, from Matt Moniz, for Chris Balzano, I'm Tim Weisberg, and we want you all to stay spooktacular. Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy, and what you have just heard was not fiction. Although, in many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. It's over for now, it seems. Or at least, until yesterday begins.